Hi, and welcome back to the Lancaster School District podcast, School Buzz. I'm your host, Rebecca Cooksey, and we have a very timely topic for you today, social and emotional support. As everybody is on the stay-home order, I'm sure that people are worried a little bit about how to support themselves and their children. Today I have with me Trish Wilson, who works for the school district, and Clark McGowan. He's the president of Excel Labs. So Clark, give me a little background on you. Sure. Uh, I'm a child clinical psychologist by training, and um, I don't see kids anymore, but my clinical work used to focus on uh, assessing and assessing children and really identifying the roadblocks to their success, whether it was academically, emotionally, or socially. And I've always loved um, helping families to identify what's getting in the way and helping to lift those roadblocks. And so as as part of that work, um, I got really interested in how to uh, assess social and emotional competencies in a way that's useful both to uh, clinical people and to educators. So um, we developed uh, SEL assessment systems that are now being used in uh, school districts around the country. Um, And I was thinking about ways that uh, we at Excel Labs could support uh, families and communities in these very strange times. Uh, And I just, you know, I've tapped into the SEL uh, community and I have some ideas uh, from my background as a clinician about things that families can consider uh, as they try to adjust to this new sort of way of living for for the moment. That was my phone. Uh, Trish, give us a little bit of background on what you do for the school district. Uh, Well, I'm a coordinator of climate, culture, and counselors. So among the many things I do, I I help to coordinate the counseling program within the district and um, supervise the counselors, as well as I'm in charge of the social-emotional learning in in the school district, which is how I know Clark. Prior to my current position, which I've been in for five years, I was a school psychologist for 17 years in our school district. Well, and this is a very stressful time for everyone. None of us have gone through a global pandemic before, so this is uncharted territory. What would be your recommendation for families dealing with stress? Because I know everybody is dealing with stress right now. Yeah, you know, I have um, kind of four general ideas, and we can dive into any one of these uh, specifically as we as we feel. Uh, but one is, um, I think it's helpful for families to kind of set the, the ground rules and expectations uh, for how things are going to go in these new circumstances. Uh, second is, I, I really think that there's an opportunity for uh, families to uh, to both teach social-emotional competencies to their students as a way to help them cope, and also to equip them with the skills they're going to need after the pandemic is over. Uh, a third thing is um, really because so many adults are going to be taking on uh, an increased role as teachers, is finding uh, creative ways to motivate students to stay engaged in academic learning. And then uh, finally, I think that uh, one of the uh, blessings of our era is that there are all kinds of ways uh, to, to stay connected to people, even if we're not in the same room with them. So uh, I think staying connected and keeping our social support systems uh, alive and thriving is, is really key, too. Now, um, you mentioned at the beginning there, Clark, about the um, ways that the family can come to agreements, common foundational agreements. That, And I was reading your blog post, and that's actually very similar to our social contracts that are um, that are you know, familiar, the the students in our district are familiar with. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you can expand on that, because that's something that the kids will be able to relate to at home that they're used to at school. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd be curious to know sort of how the social contracts work too. We can figure out how to mesh these. But, you know, that there it, it, it's become clear to me in talking with some of my friends and colleagues that um, in households where things are going relatively smoothly, they've actually just very intentionally uh, sat down and had family meetings to, to say, hey, wh- how do we want things to go? And that's taken a lot of different forms. Like in one, um, one family, uh, they, they took a page out of the sort of playbook of an SEL program called Ruler. And in Ruler, what, uh, this is a, a curriculum that schools use to teach SEL. And in the Ruler program, uh, uh, teachers work with their students to set a charter at the beginning of the year where everybody decides how do we want to feel uh, during the year? What are we going to do to help each other feel that way? How are we going to treat each other? And when we have unwanted feelings or conflict, how are we going to deal with that? And in, in classrooms, they kind of, um, they actually commit that charter to, to, the, to the page and they refer to it to keep everybody sort of operating by the same rules. This family sat down, had a family meeting, and they developed a charter based on those same ruler rules. They said, how do we want to feel? How are we going to help each other feel that way? How do we want to treat each other? Um, and, and if we don't feel the way we want to feel, uh, how are we going to deal with that? If we have conflict, how are we going to deal with that? And they just had an open, frank discussion about it and committed it to, to paper. I mean, there, uh, I thought that was a great way to just sort of set the tone and, and climate of the household. And I think it's been really helpful for them. You know, another family I know um, drafted a, a home constitution that sort of said who's responsible for what and, uh, you know, even which parts of the house belong to which people and how you are supposed to act if you're interrupting somebody in their work. They even, they even decided who the mascot was going to be in their household, and, and it turned out it was going to be their dog, which was no surprise. <laughs> yeah. So there are to do it. There's no, like, set way of doing it, but I think that families who sit down and say, hey, let's, let's just chart out how we want to treat each other, how we want to help each other uh, through this time, and what the sort of ground rules are in the most positive way possible – kind of loads the dice for success. I think that's a great idea because that structure that we can provide for children help them know how we're going to handle things. I think also mm-hmm. maybe a, a schedule of how the day is going to go because, you know, if you've got a time like this is the time we're going to take a walk or this is the time we're going to, everybody's going to do reading. I think that might help kids yeah. get a little stability too. Totally agree. Yeah, it's like, it's like these times are so, I mean, I think one of the things that's hard about uh, right now is that there's so much that's unknown and yes. so much that feels like it's out of our control. And yet there are, are things within our sphere of influence to actually uh, impose some order on. And it just feels good to have predictability and structure and routine. Yeah. So what are the ways that adults can help children cope with stress if they, they notice their children are, are stressed right now? You know, I would, um, I sort of feel like as I've been thinking about this, uh, your mantra uh, might be keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? Um, I think that one of the things that we all struggle with, but this is especially true with children, is, um, is actually naming what you're feeling. And uh, when you name your feeling, you kind of tame the feeling. So if your child is really worried or stressed out, uh, helping them name it, which might start with like, hey, tell me how you're feeling. But for a lot of kids, they might not have that vocabulary. So if you see signs that they're worried, saying, hey, I notice that you're feeling worried or I feel like, you know, what I'm seeing is showing you that you're worried about stuff. Is that right? And and help them because labeling the emotion makes it feel less scary. 
Um, so that's the first thing is sort of naming it and then helping. I think there are a number of things that you can do because worry, I think, is going to be the predominant emotion for, for many kids uh, to, to support them. One is to remind them and yourself of the things that are, again, in your control uh, to do to keep yourself safe because there are a lot of things. And it's all the stuff we've been hearing about, you know, wash your hands, keep your distance from others. Um, and and to say how that's gonna gonna keep keep folks safe, and the other thing is is I feel like you know self talk can often be really helpful. Like, what is a, a useful thing to tell yourself that might combat some of the worries? Like, if the worry is my whole family is gonna get sick and it's I'm gonna be left alone, then the self talk might be you know there aren't that many people who are sick and we're doing everything we can to stay healthy. You know th- that that could be something a child can say to him or herself that would uh, help to alleviate some of the some of the worries. And the best way to develop self-talk is to say to somebody, if, if you had a friend who felt the way you did, what would you tell them uh, to make them feel better? And whatever that thing is they say, that's the thing they can tell themselves. It's not magic and it doesn't always work, but it's just like every one of these things is chipping away at helping kids to recognize and, and manage the feelings that they're having right now. I, I think that's a great strategy of naming your feeling. I know that even for me this week has been very stressful, and I, I feel mm-hmm. like I, I've got it in my chest that it's just I'm getting up tight. And I think, okay, now you yeah. need to settle down, and nothing has to be done. You know, you don't have to fix all the problems this week. We've got time. We've got enough time to just give yourself that chance to just kind of breathe and take a moment to know it's okay. What you're doing is okay. And totally. Yeah. It, it's, I know if I'm stressed out, I, I can't imagine how a seven-year-old feels. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing, this kind of harkens back to what we were saying earlier. I, I think that kind of routines help too. Like being occupied with, uh, with meaningful activity it, it, and also distracted with less meaningful activity. It's okay to you know, sit back and watch something entertaining on Netflix. That's an okay way to kind of uh, take your mind off things. Uh, but I think that, you know, where it overlaps with schoolwork is if kids have uh, things they have to learn um, and parents can find creative ways to make those things as fun and meaningful as possible, then I think kids can really dive into something that occupies their minds and takes their minds off of what, what's worrying them. Great. I, you just validated me because I've been, been binge-watching the Twilight series, which is just, you know, mush. <laughs> but, but I was like, what? Recommendation. I haven't seen those yet. We're running out of series to watch. Oh, I, I don't recommend them, but uh, they're fun. <laughs> Fair enough. So the one thing I wanted to mention, too, is just that now more than ever, um, our students are, are watching their parents for cues. And so how parents are reacting to events and managing their own emotions and problem solving and being responsible with their behavior is going to influence the kids. And they, they really do take the cues from the adults. So if the adults are, are you know, showing that they're, they're, they're under control with their own emotions and naming their emotions, the kids will learn from that behavior, that modeled behavior. That's a great point. Yes, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. And, um, you know, I think one of the challenges then for adults is adults will worry. This is worrisome stuff. And so then we're, I think the question for all of us uh, who have children is, where do we take our worry that doesn't expose our kids to, um, you know, seeing their parents feel worried and um, even more anxious about things. And, you know, hopefully we have our own support networks we can turn to out, out, of, out of range of our kids' hearing. Exactly. 
Um, so if a child was anxious, um, what, what kind of signs would they display? They might be, they might be really quiet uh, or withdrawing to their, to their room, or it, they can even be spending a lot of time on their devices. Now, that's a hard, that's a hard um, one to decipher because kids spend a lot of time on their dis- devices anyway. But sometimes that can be a sign of avoidance. And when people are avoiding things, it's usually the emotion that they don't want to feel that they're avoiding. So, um, and they can also just look scared or nervous, watch for facial cues, listen for the topics of conversations. If a lot of questions are coming up about, um, are we going to be okay? What's going to happen next? Um, these are all cues that, uh, that kids are uh, concerned about what's happening and what might happen next. So this is really for parents, but what can teachers and administrators do to help children right now? You know, um, I think it depends largely on how they're able, how much they're able to actually connect with their students by technology. You know, if you guys have like ways of actually doing um, face-to-face lessons with students through Zoom or other or uh, Google Hangouts, um, then actually just having normal lessons as much as possible could be just tremendously reassuring. But also, you know, if it's possible during those uh, those times to have like the equivalent of a morning meeting uh, virtually where kids circle up and you just give them a chance to say what's on their minds, respectfully listen and acknowledge so that everybody knows that they're not alone and they have a place where they're safe. I think those things could be really reassuring. So routine and um, kind of like with parents, uh, acknowledging what people, what kids are feeling and uh, providing a warm and supportive environment for them to to learn and express what's on their minds. I've got a couple of very creative teachers. One of them told me she's connecting through her kids through um, Google Hangouts, and she dresses up like she's in robes from Hogwarts, and she has a display behind her, so it looks like she's teaching from Hogwarts. I I love that. That is so awesome. It's like, why weren't you my teacher when I was a kid? Totally. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the the podcast with us. We're obviously doing this remotely because we have to social distance, but um, we're using Google Hangouts to connect with each other. And I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, We want to give a shout out staff, our child nutrition staff that's going out and feeding our kids during this time. Just invaluable, their service to our children and their dedication. So I just love them and want to give them a huge shout out. As you tune out, we'll be talking next time about keeping students learning during this crisis. You can find this podcast on iHeartRadio, Sprecher, iTunes, SoundCloud, or TuneIn, or even on the district website. And stay safe. Thank you.